Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I would like to wish every one of you a happy Friday the 13th, and congrats on making it to the weekend. As you are listening to this, I am currently working, so please pray for me that nothing crazy happens tonight. I don't think it's a full moon, but it's still Friday the 13th. So, I worked a uh, cardiac arrest on Monday morning at the tail end of my shift last week. And when I got home, I got to thinking, well, why don't we talk a little bit about the call? Let's talk about why CPR is so important and what your role is as an EMT paired with a paramedic on an advanced life support ambulance is during a cardiac arrest call. As always, a message from our sponsor, then we will talk about cardiac arrests and what you will be and should be doing while on that call. Let's start off by explaining what a cardiac arrest is. A cardiac arrest is when your heart stops beating. Cardiac means heart, and arrest means stop. We also refer to it in the EMS and medical field as a code. Uh, So if you hear me say code during this, just know that it also means cardiac arrest. Now, what can cause someone's heart to stop? Well, there's actually a lot of things that can cause it to stop, but the most obvious would be a heart attack, also known as a myocardial infarction, which is when a coronary artery is blocked by a clot and the heart isn't getting the blood supply it needs to continue pumping. Cardiac arrest can also be caused by respiratory arrest, which is when your lungs don't perfuse the oxygen into uh, the blood. So now you have low oxygenated blood going to the heart and it's not able to pump it out to the rest of the body. Again, not getting the supply it needs. So the heart shuts down. A CHF exacerbation, which is congestive heart failure, You can have a COPD exacerbation, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and there's just so much more. But those, I would say, are probably uh, the most common of why somebody will go into cardiac arrest. Uh, Infants and pediatrics mainly go into cardiac arrest because of a respiratory failure. So just that's the most common in peds. So just be aware and know know what uh, what you're getting into with each call. But so on uh, Monday, we were dispatched dis, excuse me dispatched out to uh, what was a difficulty breathing call. Uh, we get on scene. Our patient is sitting in an office chair. She is using uh, the home oxygen that she has. 
and has obvious signs of respiratory distress. So we get the monitor hooked up to her right away and everything's normal except for her oxygen level. Her SpO2 was reading for us 47%. And like I said, she was on her home oxygen. We listen to her lung sounds and we hear crackles. So when you hear crackles, it's pretty indicative that it's CHF. So CHF is fluid in the lungs and it's just, it's bad. So we put her on a non-rebreather at 15 liters per minute and her O2 sats came up to 82%, but she still has crackles and 82% is still low. So we move her onto the stretcher and into the ambulance where we can pretty much work on her because that's the back of the ambulance is our office. We know where everything is and we know what needs to be done. So we get her in the back of the ambulance and we put her on CPAP. So CPAP is continuous positive air pressure. So it's a mask that goes over the patient's nose and mouth. Uh, and you you hook it on, you know, obviously behind their head, and it forces air deep into your lungs with every breath, so it pushes all the fluid out and makes room for the oxygen. Like I said, in respiratory distress calls, you have a VOI in your lungs that when you inhale, you obviously the Room air goes into your lungs, it attaches to the alveoli, and it perfuses into the blood. The blood goes out of your lungs and into your heart. So if your lungs are filled with fluid, you're not perfusing uh, the oxygen into your blood. So uh, that, that also, the CPAP also did not raise her oxygen level. So the choice was made by the paramedic to intubate. Uh... After intubation, she had oxygen levels in the mid to upper 90s, and she, at the time, was stable enough to transport to the hospital. Now, from where her house was to the hospital was only six minutes away, lights and sirens, probably about five minutes. So, before we left scene... Uh, the hospital, or I'm sorry, the paramedic gave the hospital the report. You know, we're coming in with a female respiratory distress. She's intubated, all that stuff. So we leave scene and I drove lights and sirens to the hospital because patient, like I said, was intubated. She was stable, but still critical. And on our way in, the patient coded. Uh, my medic tells me, from the back that she coded, and I say, okay, let me pull over. He asks, how far out are we? I tell him, you know, we're less than a minute away, and the medic says, just drive, get us to the hospital. So, normally, if you're in transport and someone codes in the back of the ambulance, you pull the ambulance to the side of the road, call into dispatch, tell them, hey, patient's coded, I need fire sent to my location because extra hands during a cardiac arrest is extra hands. And believe me, you will need it. So you pull over, tell dispatch the information you have. You hop your ass in the back 
and you immediately start compressions. You start compressions so the paramedic can intubate and the paramedic can start giving drugs. So your main priority at that point is to start doing compressions. But in this situation, this is where, like I always say, experience comes into play. Uh, the patient was already intubated, and so, and we were less than a minute from the hospital. So the paramedic decided to just drive the patient in. So in this job, you have to be able to make educated and confident decisions quickly that will ultimately benefit the the patient. Now, in this case, because we were so close to the hospital, you know, pulling over on the side of the road less than a minute away, uh, me doing compressions. Uh, I know the fire station, the closest fire station for our backup is five minutes away. So is it in the patient's best interest for us to start doing compressions in the back of the ambulance, waiting for the fire department to arrive to potentially get ROSC or we might not get ROSC, which is a return of spontaneous circulation. So that means the patient regains a pulse. So the paramedic made the educated decision to get the patient to the hospital right away. So we get to the hospital. Luckily, we had uh, one of our other crews was there and they helped us pull out the, the stretcher. Uh, so I, I took over compressions, uh, for the paramedic who was doing the compressions. He was bagging the patient and we wheeled the patient into the room. We moved the patient onto, uh, the hospital bed uh, where I continued CPR and, uh, the doc gave two rounds of epi and the patient regained a pulse. So, why is CPR so important? Well, when you do CPR, you are pumping the patient's heart, creating that blood circulation throughout the body. You are acting as the heart. And good compressions, deep compressions, fast compressions are what is going to save someone's life. And it's ultimately going to give your patient the chance to live. Like I said, that's why deep and fast compressions are so important. So, and you know, you, you can't, don't be afraid, okay? The, your patient, if they go into cardiac arrest and you need to do CPR, your patient is dead. They cannot feel anything. So, you know, break ribs, Okay. It, I, I cringe every time I hear it, but when you push down and hear those, the, the cracking and the snapping, you are doing good, effective compressions and you need to continue no matter what it sounds or feels like, because like I said, that's, what's going to save the patient's life. Now, as an EMT, what is your job on a cardiac arrest call. Probably, like I said, the most important thing to do is to give good and effective chest compressions. Do good CPR. 
Yes, CPR is very tiring, but that gives the patient an opportunity at life while the paramedic starts an IV or maybe even an IO, uh, does the intubation, and administers the drugs. So, like I said, the patient can have a chance to regain a pulse. Now, there's uh, sometimes when the fire department beats you to the call or they arrive you know, just shortly after you do. When that happens, your priorities kind of change a little bit. So where I work, uh, our medical director has allowed, with training, of course, the EMTs to start IVs. So if the fire department is there or arrives shortly after us, you know, I'll tell a firefighter, hey, you know, take over compressions, okay? So the firefighter will hop on the chest start doing compressions. Uh, If I'm able to, I'll start an IV so the paramedic can then focus on his intubation. Uh, After I'm done with that and the paramedic has successfully intubated, I could, you know, I could focus on bagging the patient while the paramedic administers the drugs. Uh, The firefighters rotate out on doing CPR and sometimes even the sheriff or the police police department even jump in to do chest compressions. So as as an EMT, you then are kind of acting like a leader or commander on scene so the medic can focus on what they're doing because they they need to focus on uh, their drugs, their dosages, you know, the monitor, checking rhythms, checking pulse, you know. So you, as the EMT, can kind of direct people on on bagging, uh, doing CPR, notice, notice if someone's getting tired, uh, and switch people around who are doing chest compressions. Uh, what I like to do is... Um, there's some, some of our fire engines have three people, some have two. So depending on how many, uh, we get a rotation in, right? So one person's doing CPR, one person's bagging. When the person gets tired of doing CPR, the next person behind them takes over CPR and whoever was just doing CPR goes to bagging. So you have a a continuous circle rotation going on because believe me, two minutes is a long time while doing CPR, especially if you're doing good, effective CPR. Two minutes is a long time, and you will you're, you will be very sore the next day, and your hands will hurt. But, you know, as the EMT, you also need to know your partner and what they like. So at the beginning of the shift, you always check your equipment. No matter how busy you are, no matter what you're doing, always check your equipment. You set your equipment and supplies up the most efficient way possible and the way your medic likes it. So they know where everything is, just like you should know where everything is on the ambulance. You know, this is a two-person job, and you have to work as a team to save someone's life, whether that be two EMTs, two medics, or a medic and an EMT. You can't do this job without one another, okay? It's a team effort, and a team effort is what's going to save people's lives. 
That is why you have to be confident, educated, and skillful. Know your abilities, focus on the areas you struggle, and become that better EMT. Become that better paramedic, that better firefighter, better police officer, you know, better nurse, better doctor, whoever, whatever you are, always better yourself. I always say this every podcast, you know, I am a big believer in furthering your education. The more education you have, the better you will be at anything and the more you'll excel at everything. Okay. You know, I, I say this and what I say is true. You know, people do not call 911 because they're having a good day. Okay. People call 911 because they have lost control of their situation situation and they are looking for someone who knows that they are going to help them. So that's why you have to educate yourself. You have to know your signs and symptoms. You have to know where your equipment is so you can move fluidly and quickly, okay? That is why I like healthcare so much. Healthcare is always changing. There, there's always going to be change. There's always going to be doctors who have new ideas, who have new studies, uh, who, who may develop another drug that might help somebody in a better situation. You know, I mean, it, it's always changing. And as EMTs and paramedics, we need to be on the forefoot of that change so we can continue to do our job and do it well. Because as an EMT or paramedic, we are the first line of defense. We are the hospital's eyes and ears. And we are what our community looks for for help. You know, we're the, fr- we're the front line of pre-hospital care, okay? There's a lot of the times when we get to the hospital and these patients have a complete 180 degree turn from when we first saw them. And I get, I recently got asked this. We, uh, we got called out to an unresponsive, uh, three-year-old. She was completely unresponsive. We started two IVs on her. She didn't flinch, didn't cry, nothing, completely unresponsive. By the time we got her to the hospital, she was awake smiling she would give us high fives and uh, there was a nurse that looked at us and she was like why'd you bring why'd you bring the kid here you know so we as emts and paramedics have the ability to make a huge change in a patient's life and get them to a hospital in stable condition where doctors and nurses can then further that medical care where they have more training and knowledge in the hospital But that's why I like pre-hospital, because I can see that 180 turn, okay? There's a lot of times, like I said, where we bring the patients into the hospital, and we've fixed them for a short period of time. And we tell the doctors and nurses what we did, and the doctors and nurses, like I said, they further the health care of that patient by what we decided to do before they, we got them to the hospital. So this job is a very important job. And 
and it's a very rewarding job. As always, let me know what you think by telling me on Instagram at EMT underscore life underscore podcasts. And, you know, let me let me know about the first time that you had to do CPR on someone because I'll always remember my first time. Uh, I was I was an EMT student and my clinical was first time doing CPR and I will never forget it. It was it was really scary. And I look back on it now and I just thank my uh, school that I went to because they did a tremendous job in preparing me to become an EMT and to become a good EMT. So you, know, you can also uh, give this podcast a rating on whichever listening platform you listen on. It, it will only help this podcast grow. So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for uh, a, a growing podcast and a more interactive podcast. Um, I just want more people to listen. Hopefully they can educate themselves a little bit by listening to me. Uh, if you have any questions, like I said, go to Instagram and let me know. I'll try to answer them to my best abilities. Um, but as always, be good. Be safe and God bless.